0: Good morning. Um, our reading this morning is Luke 19 1 to 10. Just as we open that just reminded that um, as we read this it is God's word for us today and um, that through the scriptures uh, we are told of God's divine love for us. Um, so let's set our hearts and consider the truths of this passage. Um, from Luke 19, to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be in the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that is active, is speaking to us today. We thank you that um, through it, we see and experience your promises. And we just pray now for Andreas as as he comes to um, just share your word and explain this passage to us. Just pray for your spirit, Lord, to be upon him um, and help us as well as we listen and engage with this in the week ahead. Amen. That was great. Uh,
1: <clears throat> this morning we're uh, starting our Advent sermon series. This is something we do every year. We spend, we actually pay close attention to Advent. Um, so why, why do we do Advent and what does it mean? Well, um, the word Advent is actually comes from the Latin word meaning coming. It just means coming or arrival. Uh, and, and very simply, the purpose of Advent is to anticipate the coming of Christ. That's all we do. Advent is about waiting. Uh, it's about anticipation. This morning, uh, Amy led us in, in considering the, the anticipation of hope. Uh, and, and I think that this is important for us. The reason we do this at church is because generally as a, as a people, as a society, we, we've lost the ability to wait, haven't we? Um, I see this in my own life, right? If I want something, I just Amazon Prime it and it's here tomorrow, right? And if it's the two days away, that's too long for me to wait. Uh, uh, even our uh, information that we get is, is instant, isn't it? We've got we've got the whole world, all the information ever in the world, at a swipe of a finger. Um, it's estimated that if a website doesn't load within three seconds, it loses seventy percent of its traffic. So that, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those seventy percent. By the way, I'm like three seconds. Are you kidding me? Next, They're like that's me. We've we've lost the ability to wait. We want Christmas now, and so we put our trees up uh, and start the Christmas celebrations at the end of November. But the truth is that that God designed us to wait. We are people created to wait. The whole of the Old Testament is, is waiting on the coming of God's salvation, on the coming of Messiah. There is a time of struggle, a time of anticipation before the glory is revealed. God sent His Son only in the fullness of time. And Jesus will return, the thing that we now look forward to, in the fullness of time. And so in Advent, the church admits as the poet R.S. Thomas put it, that the meaning is in the waiting. I love that phrase, the meaning is in the waiting. And what we're waiting for as Christians is not Jesus coming as a, as a baby in a manger, but Jesus, uh, the final advent yet to come. They waited for the, the coming of the Messiah in flesh, and we may wait for the coming of the Messiah in glory. In Advent, we as believers confess that the infant who gasped his first breath among the animals and at the hands of a virgin has yet to speak his final word. And now, by the way, I'm not saying, I'm not criticizing anyone that puts their tree up early. I mean, that's 100% me. I'm like, you know, 100% committed to the Christmas season. But what I am suggesting is that in our tendency and our instant gratification uh, wait-for-nothing society, that maybe we need this yearly reminder to slow down, to consider, to wait, to anticipate the godliness of waiting, the, the blessing of waiting. So, this is why we observe Advent, because we are people of Advent. We are people uh, who look forward to and anticipate the coming of Jesus. Um, and, and this Advent uh, sermon series, that over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the coming of the Son of Man, so the Son of Man is Jesus. You might have seen the, the, the video I, uh, we put on social media this week that explains what this term, the Son of Man, uh, means. But, but really briefly, I'll just explain that briefly in a couple of sentences. The Son of Man is, is the phrase that Jesus most used to describe Himself. More, by far more than anything else, He referred to Himself as the Son of Man. Uh, um, so do go back and, and watch that video on socials if you haven't seen it. But by calling Himself the Son of Man, Jesus was telling us that He is fully human, just like us. And therefore, He knows our weakness and our pain and our suffering and our frailty. But by calling Himself the Son of Man, He's also telling us that He's fully God. And therefore, He is able to save us. He's also telling us through this phrase over and over again that He is the one who has been promised from the very beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden, when, when, when sin came in, God immediately promised Eve that her offspring would, would, would crush the serpent's head. And he's also telling us that he comes in humility. He's come to serve those who created. This is the Son of Man. And so this Advent, we're not just going to focus on that Jesus came. We're going to look at at, um, why he came and what he did and how he did it, what he is still doing. Um, This series is about the Son of Man's purpose and his actions, and it's in his own words. The four statements we're going to look at, one each week, are going to be Jesus' own words uh, about why he came, why the Son of Man came. So let me pray again and ask for God's help, and then we'll we'll get into this uh, very Christmassy passage, (laughs) Zacchaeus climbing up a tree. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you came at all, um, and we ask for your help uh, just to hear your words, to hear your voice. Help us uh, prepare our hearts for your coming. Help us make room, as the hymn says, hearts making room. Lord, will we prepare our hearts for your coming uh, even this morning? Holy Spirit, speak to us and, and heal us and comfort us. And challenge us where we need those things. In your name, amen. Uh, so, this summer we were uh, staying up, uh, uh, we have a family caravan up near Castle Rock, and uh, one day we lost our dog, George. Some of you know George. Um, some of you got to know him during lockdown because you come and walk him, which is really helpful. You can all do that, by the way, anytime you want, come and take him out. We'll be more than grateful. Um, but we were out for dinner. And uh, a thunderstorm came out of nowhere, and George got so spooked by the thunder that he just took off and ran uh, across the fields. And one of the neighbors got in touch with us and said they saw George running as fast as he could, sprinting down the lane uh, across uh, towards the road. And so we came back, of course, straight away, and we could see no sign of him. And so we started looking up and down the road, shouting, George, 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 and over fields, and it's pouring rain. Um, we were down lanes on the beach, even into the forest. And I, uh, I was out most of the night on the storm. Haley was on Facebook, like, trying to uh, set up a Facebook search and rescue group and all this kind of stuff. Search and rescue group, probably not that, but you know what I mean. She put it on Facebook. I was going over fields in the dark. We left food out for him in case he came back. And the whole time we're thinking, oh, this poor dog, like, think of him. He's, he's probably uh, shivering, freezing, scared, tired, he, in the dark. It was so, we were so desperate to find him. We didn't want to stop. We wanted to keep going until we found him, and eventually we did find him. And even though he's just a dog, right, it's an animal at the end of the day, but he means a lot to us, and so we wanted to bring him back safely. But this made me think, as I was reading uh, Zacchaeus' story this week, I wonder, have you ever considered that this, uh, how you became a Christian? How did you become a Christian? So, so maybe you look back and, and you remember your parents taken you to church. Mom and dad took you to church, and they, they shared the gospel with you, and eventually you came at an age where you put your trust in Jesus yourself. Or, or maybe it's because somebody at university, uh, uh, someone you met, started asking questions. What do you think about life? What do you think about death? What do you think about faith and, and all this kind of stuff? And they led you to Jesus. And maybe whatever your story is, all those things are true, but what was happening behind the scenes? Because what was happening behind the scenes is really why you became a Christian. See, behind the scenes, Jesus was seeking for you. In the way that we were desperately seeking for George over fields, in the dark, in the rain, Jesus was desperately searching for you. Have you ever considered that Jesus was desperately searching for you? This is what Advent is all about. It's about Jesus desperately searching for us. And you see, all of us, before Jesus found us and rescued us, were just like George. We were just like that lost dog, scared and tired and alone and exhausted in a desperate situation, unable to save ourselves and find our way home until Jesus sought for us and saved us when we were lost. And so our main idea is pretty simple this morning. It's simple but absolutely wonderful. And if you spend, the more time you spend thinking about this, the more wonderful it will become. This is an easy thing to understand, but at the same time, we're going to be thinking about this and celebrating it and singing about it for all of eternity. And it's this one phrase that Jesus says about himself, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save us when we were lost. So if you're a Christian here this morning, this is why you're a Christian. Because you were lost and Jesus sought for you and found you. Of course, maybe you had Christian parents who, who taught you the gospel and took you to church. And maybe you had that friend in uni that led you to Jesus or, or whatever it was. But all these are just ways that Jesus sought for you. We were lost, unable to find our way home. And Jesus sought for us and found us and saved us. I hope that as we unpack this a little bit over the next few minutes, that it will be just become more and more wonderful for us because we say these words Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and I really want them to impact us this morning. Now, the story that that, that Duncan read for us in Luke 19 doesn't sound very Adventy or very Christmassy, right? There's no donkeys or angels or anything like that. But 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 actually, this is a really, really Adventy story. This is a story about Jesus seeking and finding and saving someone who was lost. Zacchaeus uh, was a tax collector who lived in the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a bit like the Hollywood of Israel. And you can pick Hollywood, California or Hollywood down the road. It's the same because it was full of rich people, right? Jericho was where the rich people lived. It wasn't really a desert like the rest of the region. It was on an oasis. And so it had nice trees and a good, a good water supply. And so all the rich people went there. They all lived there. And Zacchaeus was a rich man. And he had made his money by collecting taxes from his own people to pass on to the Roman government. And it sounds like Zacchaeus had done pretty well for himself by cheating people out of money. He had collected more tax than he needed to and then paid the government what they were owed and then kept the rest for himself. So it's pretty safe to say that Zacchaeus wasn't very well liked among the people, except maybe by other tax collector friends. And not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He had worked his way up. He had earned himself a position of authority. Like the Roman officials would have loved this guy, a Jewish guy who's working for them. Tax collectors were seen by the Jewish people as the worst of the worst. And so a chief tax collector, I mean, this guy is like, he is enemy number one. But this tax collector had heard that Jesus was coming to town and word by this time had started to spread about Jesus. Jesus was doing something different, and Zacchaeus wants to see him and find out what all the fuss is about. He wants It tells us that he wants to, he wants to see uh, who Jesus was. Maybe he thinks there's some money to be made. Maybe he thinks, oh, I could get to know this guy. He's a, an influencer. Maybe he's in the in crowd. Maybe I can, he's someone who's a bit famous. Maybe I should get to know him. So at the risk of of going into a crowd where where people wanted to, to hurt him and hate him and kill him, he heads out into the crowd. But because he's just a wee man, he climbs up a tree to get a good view of Jesus. And of course, being up a tree probably made him a bit safer from all the people that wanted to hurt him and get their money back. But then something happens that Zacchaeus wasn't expecting. Because Jesus, when he comes along with all his followers, stops and invites, invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. In fact, Jesus says, I must come and stay at your house. And when Zacchaeus has Jesus over his house, just like anybody that lets Jesus enter their lives, he gets way more than he bargains for. His whole life is changed forever. And this whole story is summed up by Jesus in verse 10, when Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's three parts to this statement that we want to look at, to seek and to save and the lost. And the first, one of this, the first one of those is the Son of Man came to seek. This is the first part of what Jesus came to do. Now, the way I just told that story, I recap that story, it makes it sound like Zacchaeus was the one doing the searching, doesn't it? He was the one that left his house and went out into the crowd. He was the one that climbed up in the sycamore tree to get a better view. Verse 3 even tells us he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So it certainly sounds like Zacchaeus was the one doing the seeking here. But when we look a bit closer, we see that Jesus was the one who was doing the seeking. And maybe you're thinking, well, Zacchaeus, uh, like I did, I mean, this is a pretty shameful thing for a man of his stature, not his physical stature, because that was quite small, but his, his you know, societal stature, he, he shamed himself to see Jesus. He does what a kid does. He climbs, up, he climbs up into a tree. And that's true. But think about the lengths Jesus went to to seek Zacchaeus. Jesus shamed himself even more. Firstly, he tells Zacchaeus that he is coming to his house. Listen, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to you, and you have no say in the matter. Jesus was going to his house, and there was nothing he could do to stop him. And, and this was was not the done thing in that culture. This was quite a shameful act. You didn't just say, "I'm coming to your house." You had to be wait. You had to wait to be invited. But not Jesus. Jesus shames himself publicly by imposing himself on Zacchaeus. And not only that, whose house is he going to? He's going to the house of the worst person in town. This is like going to this is like going to the drug dealer. This is like going to the prostitute. This is like going to, to someone that we can't ever imagine hanging out with. And the crowd all, all grumble at Jesus, who is supposedly a man of God. Jesus, we're following you because you're this rabbi. You're this great teacher. You're this man of God. And they grumble, why are you going to stay with this guy? And here's the point. No matter how much we think we are seeking for Jesus, we need to realize that he is the one who is doing the seeking. He's on a mission to search us out. Even just taking this word seek, right? The word seek for us, first thing I think of is a game of hide and seek. <laughs> That's the only real time I would use the word seek. It's just a game. Or maybe you're seeking for the perfect Christmas present for somebody that you love. But this word in this context that Luke uses to record what Jesus says, it's much more than that. To seek. In this sense, it means searching out. It means trying to obtain something valuable. It's pursuing. Jesus pursues him. And at one point in your life, if you're a Christian, you stopped for a second and you sought Jesus. In one, Maybe it was a journey, but for one small time, you stopped and sought for Jesus. But the truth is that all of human history is about God pursuing us. The incarnation, Jesus, the Son of God becoming flesh is about God shaming himself publicly seeking us pursuing us trying to obtain us because he sees us of great value now compare Zacchaeus seeking with Jesus seeking Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree to see who Jesus was but Jesus descended from the glories of heaven to search and pursue Zacchaeus Jesus lowered himself, emptied himself. He he gave up all the glory of heaven to roll around in the muck with us. This is the kind of desperate searching Jesus does for the people he loves. Nothing was going to stop him from going to Zacchaeus' house. And nothing was going to stop him from coming into our house, from inviting himself into our world. In the incarnation, God being born in human flesh, Jesus is saying to us, I must stay at your house today. That's what the Incarnation is. Jesus says, I'm coming to you. And you see, it was necessary for Jesus to stay at this tax collector's house because it pictures what Jesus is all about. Him coming to us so he can bring us to God. Bringing people who, like Zacchaeus, need to repent. His mission is to reclaim those who have turned away and those who need to be made right with God. And so the question I want to ask us is, how will we receive him? He's come. Jesus is coming. He has come. And verse 6 tells us that Zacchaeus hurried and came down the tree and received him joyfully. Joyfully. I mean, do we receive Jesus in this way? Do we receive Jesus joyfully? Do we rush down out of our tree to receive him and welcome him into our lives in a way that changes us forever? Or do we grumble? Do we resist? Do we say, well, if you must, Jesus, right? Look, Jesus, you can come into the house, but you have to stay in the front hall. Or Jesus, look, just stand over there. Don't take your shoes off. Don't touch anything. This is my house, and I like things just the way that they are. Or will we be like Zacchaeus and receive him joyfully and give him access to every part of our lives? Jesus sought us when we were lost, and he is still seeking us. So how will we receive him? Like This Advent, in these next four weeks leading up to Christmas, this is a, a great question to ask ourselves. Before we enter into all the festivities and the parties and the presents and the work dues, let's be asking ourselves, how will we receive Jesus? The King of kings lay thus in lowly manger. So how will we receive Him? But Jesus didn't just come to seek Jesus also tells us that he came to save. This is the second part of his statement. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. Now, the reaction of the crowd that were following Jesus, these are are people who are actually following Jesus, which I think is important to remember. They grumbled. They're complaining that Jesus would associate with someone like a, a, a chief tax collector. Now, now, actually, what's interesting about this, if you like getting nerdy about these things and I do, is that this um, verb, grumbled, it's the same, it's the same word that, that the Israelites grumbled against Moses when they were in the desert. Why have you led us out of Egypt? Why have you led us out of this slavery into this desert we're grumbling? It's the same word. They're grumbling about what Jesus is doing. They're grumbling about Jesus' salvation. They call Zacchaeus a tax collector, or, or a sinner. They say, going to be, he's going to stay at this person's house who's a sinner. This means that this is somebody who has a complete and utter moral failure. And one of the things I find interesting about this, and, and, and one of the most, sometimes the most poignant moments of Jesus' life are when he agrees with the people who are his accusers, right? When he actually agrees with the people who are complaining against him. You see, Jesus doesn't go back and, 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 and answer them back. He agrees with them. Like through his actions, Jesus is saying, yes, he is a sinner. But you think it's bad that I'm going to go to his house? Where do you see what I'm going to do next? I'm not just going to stay at the house of this sinner. I'm going to bring him salvation. I'm going to call him a son of Abraham. You know what that means? That means that, that he is a part of God's family. You see, Jesus came to seek, but to save is the purpose of his seeking. To save is the purpose of him searching us out, him pursuing us. I mean, if we went and found George somewhere where he was lost, and we were like, find him, and then went home, like, what would be the point of our seeking for him? The whole point of seeking for him is to to save him and bring him home. So it is with Jesus. This whole reason Jesus went to to Zacchaeus' house to save him and if he hadn't been a sinner in need of salvation jesus wouldn't have gone to his house like to save people in need of salvation is the whole reason the son of god became the son of man if we weren't in need of salvation jesus wouldn't have come you see the crowds were right to say that zacchaeus was a sinner right his his life showed that very clearly like he, he was a moral failure. But they were wrong in saying that he wasn't worth visiting. Everybody had, had written Zacchaeus off, but he wasn't beyond Jesus. Jesus doesn't write people off who are open to him, no matter what their life is like. Jesus doesn't worry about his own reputation either. He doesn't worry that this will make him unpopular with the people. The priority of Jesus in this moment and the priority of Jesus still is to associate closely enough with the lost so that they can come to know the grace of God. And so, no matter what you're feeling guilty about this morning, no matter what memory of sin this week that you're carrying with you and thinking, I'm so unworthy, or no matter what other people have thrown at you this week, Jesus wants to associate so closely with you so that through him, you will know the grace of God. This is this is why Jesus was born in human flesh. At the start of Luke chapter 2, At the birth of Jesus, the angel come to tell the shepherds. um, If you've ever been in a nativity play, you'll know this story. Jesus comes to tell the shepherds that this baby has been born. And they say that the birth of this baby is good news of great joy. What's the good news that causes this great joy? It's the news that Jesus comes to save those who are lost. He associates with us, even when we don't deserve to be associated with. Zacchaeus didn't deserve Jesus to come to his house. He was this morally bankrupt people who hated his people. He was a crook. He was a thief. He oppressed people by stealing their money and then put himself in a position of authority over them. But Jesus still came to his house. And it caused a scandal. The people are gossiping and grumbling about this. But listen, grace is scandalous. Grace is a scandal because it's completely undeserved. None of us deserve Jesus to come to us, but that is the scandal of his grace. He comes to us to bring salvation to us, even though we thoroughly don't deserve it. And when we receive Jesus, just like Zacchaeus, he he brings salvation to us, and we are changed forever. You see, Zacchaeus' life after this encounter with Jesus is, is completely different, isn't it? And his actions actually show that what Jesus says is true. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And what Zacchaeus does proves this. He begins to make right the wrongs he has done and give generously to the poor. He gives half of all his money to the poor and he gives back four times what he had taken from the people. Now both these things are way above and beyond what the law demanded of him. He went way above and beyond. Why? Why? Because the grace that he had just received in Jesus goes way above and beyond. His actions reveal a changed heart. There is evidence that salvation had come to his house. If anyone doubted that salvation was really saved by Jesus, well, the evidence was in his bank balance or whatever they had in those days, a chest of gold or something. He wasn't buying his salvation. No amount of money can buy salvation. But Zacchaeus is showing that by his giving, he had received salvation. Like Money is no longer his God. Jesus is. There's a complete U-turn in Zacchaeus' life. Before he took money from the poor, now he is giving to the poor. Before he used to rob people, and now he is honoring those he has wronged. And This is what repentance is. It's a complete U-turn in our actions because we have received Jesus. And I wonder, for those of us who have received Jesus... What evidence of salvation is there in our lives? Like, do, do our bank balances and actions show that we have let Jesus come into our house? Do our actions towards those we have wronged prove that we have been saved by Jesus? Does how we treat the poor demonstrate that we belong to him? And I think for me, and I suspect for all of us, it's it's so much easier to be like the crowd in this story, isn't it? Like We love following along with Jesus. We love walking along the road with him. Even hearing all the cool things he's saying. But then we complain when he goes to places that we don't approve of. When Jesus leads us to people that we don't like. To people we call sinners. But to follow Jesus. To receive him joyfully. That will will mean that our lives will be completely changed. And next week we're going to see that actually that will mean that we will go to the people that we don't like, we will go to the people that the world have written off. To follow Jesus, to receive Him joyfully, to let Him have access to our whole lives, to have salvation come to our house, means that we will be completely changed. But Jesus came to seek, and He came to save, and finally, just to complete the phrase, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So He's He's seeking. We saw that He's saving, but. What is it, who, who is he seeking and saving? Lost. What does it mean to be lost? Now, I'm pretty sure that Zacchaeus, before he met Jesus, didn't really know he was lost. He probably knew that he was doing wrong things, and he probably knew that people didn't like him, but he had a pretty good life, I'm sure. You know, he probably lived in a really nice house. He was a rich guy, servants and all the rest of it. But the funny thing about being lost is that often we don't we don't know, know we're lost until it's pointed out that we're lost, right? That's often what happens, right? Imagine this. You're, you're driving down the road, and like, you're, you know, you're blasting the tunes, you're listening to podcasts, and you're thinking, wow, I'm getting, making a really good time on my journey today, and then you miss the turn-off you're supposed to take. And then uh, at some point you realize, oh, I actually don't know where I am. And you think, how did I get here? So you start started out right with confidence, so confident you're like just listening to the music or whatever, but now, you don't know where you are or how to get back. And then your pride kicks in, if you're unlike like me. I don't need Google Maps. I'll just go in this direction, or I'm sure it's this road, and then that road, and I'll be fine. This is what it is to be lost. Without Christ, we are all lost. We don't know how we got lost, and we certainly don't know how to get back again. And we're, and we're surprised when we finally look up and realize that we're lost, And without Jesus, we are so separated from God that we forget that we were made to be with him in his kingdom, face to face in his love. We need someone to come and find us, to bring us back. And if this is you this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus, then it's my job to tell you that you're lost. And and maybe that surprises you. But the good news of great joy is that Jesus is looking for you that he still seeks and saves the lost. So, so don't let the crowds like Zacchaeus stop you from seeing him. Climb up the sycamore tree. Because it, it's easy for all of us at this time of year. Like things are, December's the busiest month of the year. It's usually almost, almost always the most fun as well, isn't it? The trees go up, the lights go up, the parties start, the hustle and bustle, the shopping, all the stuff of the season takes over. But it's easy in the midst of that to be like in the middle of the crowd and not see Jesus in the middle of it all. But all of the Christmas season is a huge reminder to the world that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so if you've never seen Jesus, then be like Zacchaeus. Put your head above the crowd to see him. Look beyond the decorations. Look beyond the shopping and the parties and see that Jesus is looking for you and receive the love of God through Jesus Christ, the Son, that Jesus became one of us so that he could live as one of us and die as one of us in order to pay the penalty of our sin. And then the third day, God raised him from the dead so that we could be made right with God. This is the way out of our lostness. This is the roadmap back. And Jesus did all this so we could be like Zacchaeus, to receive Jesus, to repent of our sin, to do that U-turn in our lives and admit that we need him and then follow him. By loving and doing good to others. You know what's interesting in this story? Uh, it, it struck me that, that the crowds were, were they were very comfortable with seeing Zacchaeus as the lost one. Oh, he's the sinner. He's the lost one. But in the end, they're the ones who remain lost. They, they, they were relying on their good works. You see, they were following Jesus. I mean, literally, they were following Jesus. They would never associate with someone like a tax collector. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. We're we're good. We're good people. We don't associate with them. But Zacchaeus, even though he is more visibly lost than the crowd who were actually following Jesus down the road, he actually recognizes his neediness and accepts the salvation that Jesus brings. So what does this show us? It shows us that by going to Zacchaeus' house, Jesus enters the place of the lost. Jesus enters our lostness. You see, the, the analogy of our lost dog or, or, or getting lost when driving down the road, it actually doesn't really give us the full picture of what Jesus means when he says lost. The, the, this word actually means totally gone, something that has perished. I mean, this is different from losing your keys or your glasses, right? This is not just misplaced, um, it's more like, and I gave him a, a trigger warning for this earlier in the week, this is more like when Tim's studio burns down and, and the things they lost in the fire, it's not like they're misplaced. I've misplaced my computer or whatever. It, it, they're gone. They perished. That's what Jesus means when he says the lost. This is how we are without Jesus, not just lost down a road. No matter how lost you get in the car, there's always a chance, isn't there, that you can drive around randomly and somehow find yourself in a place that you recognize or not being lost, even like our dog. that There's always a chance that, that given enough time, George could wander around and, 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 and find his way back. But when Jesus says he came to seek and to see of the lost, he is saying we were lost with no way back. There's no way we could ever just happen to find our way out of our lostness. We were gone. This is why the Bible repeatedly says that we were dead. We were dead in our sin. There was no way back. And this is what I think makes what Jesus says and what makes the incarnation even more incredible. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How can you save something that's completely gone? I mean, Tim can't go back into the shell of that burnt out building in town and somehow bring back all the things that are lost in the fire. But this is the miracle of Advent. You see, just like Jesus enters Zacchaeus' house, the incarnation, the Son of Man, the the Son of God becoming human flesh, is Jesus entering our lostness. He's the only one who could enter our lostness and not be lost. He entered our lostness and found a way back and, and brought us back with him when we were completely unable to do it ourselves. He entered our death and defeated death. You see, you think um, that's hyperbole that he, he enters our lostness and we're completely gone. It's not. He enters death. There's no way back from death, except through Jesus. He enters our death and defeats death. And this is what Advent is all about. It's about God entering our lostness so that we might be found. You see that to save is the purpose for Jesus seeking, and that we are lost is his motivation. When we receive, well, sorry, when Zacchaeus received Jesus into his home, he was recognizing, I am lost. I'm lost. And this is what we all have to do if we're to be saved. We must realize that we are lost without him, no matter how good our lives are. You see, in one sense, Zacchaeus had a good life. Not morally, of course, but in the sense that he was very rich and comfortable. But he still had to realize that he was lost and needed salvation. And in one sense, the crowd had a good life too. Not in the sense that they were rich, but in the sense that, that they were following Jesus. They weren't morally bankrupt. But they were counting on their act of following Jesus and staying away from sinners to bring their salvation. And here's the thing. I think that we can be guilty of both those things. right? In the comfort of our daily lives. Now, most of us have homes that we go to. Most of us ha- have are warm and dry and comfortable and have most of the time full bellies. Most of us can afford to go out and buy a a new shirt or something if we want to. But we need to consider that we still need Jesus, even in spite of our material comfort. And on the other hand, we're following Jesus, aren't we? We're following Jesus We're Christians, that's what we do. And we we say, well, as long as I stay away from all the sinful things in the world and and don't do that, then I'm sweet. But the Christian life is total dependence on Jesus. It's about every day saying, Jesus, I am forever lost without you. Like, not any material comfort and not my own ability to follow you will conceive me. Only you can save me. I'm totally lost without you. The whole of Christianity is summed up in these words. The Son of Man to seek and to save the lost. If we were asked to describe the essence of the gospel in one phrase, this would be it. And there's no other message like this. And I think this is so comforting. You see, every other religion in the world and every other philosophy, every other kind of way of living that we don't even think about, it gets it the other way around. Like every other religion tells us to seek. The main philosophy of the world that we live in, at least, is to try hard, work hard, work your way up. We're told that we have to depend on our own efforts to find comfort and satisfaction and joy, even salvation. But this is the opposite of the hope that we have in Advent. In Advent, we hope in the coming of the Son of Man who came to seek us, who came to save us. And I'm going to borrow some words from Jonathan Parnell to finish with. And he says this, He says, in a sense, we live in a planet full of seekers. We are, in one way or another, tree climbers, maneuvering ourselves to gain some advantage, to to achieve some perspective, to find personal peace. And then Jesus comes. We are lost in our own seeking until Jesus comes to us and says, hurry and come down. Stop your searching Stop trying to save yourself. I have come to seek and save the lost. Our exertion is then silenced. All our seeking or trying to reach the divine on our own is silenced when we learn that the divine has reached down to us by becoming one of us. Here we are spinning our wheels in hopes of getting to God. And then God, despite our belittling works, comes to get us. The gulf we couldn't bridge is the burden he takes upon himself. We were lost sinners who rightly deserved God's judgment, and Jesus came to take judgment for us. He suffered in our place on the cross, was dead and buried, and then on the third day was raised to life. He ascended to the Father's right hand from where he reigns over all. Jesus sought us, and he has saved us if we trust in him. So let me finish by asking us this question again. Will we receive him? How will we receive him? Will we believe this? Will we trust in him? This Advent season... Is our hope really in Him? Well we receive Jesus joyfully today? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are the one who saves, not us. Thank You for rest, for hushing the furious winds of our faithless works. Thank You for stopping the striving of our souls. Overcome us more and more with the glory of your grace and make our posture towards others echo your summary of your gospel that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Lord Jesus, as we come to partake in your meal now, may the bread and the wine remind us the very culmination, the very evidence of your coming. That you didn't just take on human flesh but that that flesh was broken and pulled apart for us that you didn't just become flesh and blood but that your blood was spilled for us this is the cost of you seeking us this is the cost of you saving us in our lostness thank you that you haven't left us lost but you have found us and may we receive you joyfully today in jesus name